defenses. Initiate bank protocol. Sorry. Um, <laughs> welcome to another episode of Bird Protocol. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Palm Reader. I'm here with uh, with Otis, and today we are uh, we're doing a bit of a lazy episode, um, but it's not really lazy. I mean, we are talking about a topic. But uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, we decided last night to go see John Wick 4. Uh, in, and so we didn't really have an idea of what to talk about. And then it struck us on the ride home uh, since we did just go see this movie a few weeks ago. And, uh, and, and it's a, 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 a banger. It's a, it's, a, it's a great film. It's a chance for us to talk about animated uh, uh, anime again. And, uh, yeah. and, and it's a chance for us to talk about kind of like, um, well, I mean, we're going to talk about John Wick too, but anyway, yeah. aside from we all can that. You talk some motorcycles, sci-fi, monsters, you know, general fuckery of the mind, uh, stuff that doesn't make sense, Hezbollah, you know, yeah, that's all, what I was gonna say. all the regular stuff. <laughs> I was going to say, this is the first film of the Hezbollah variant multiverse. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, so we're, we're talking about, uh, uh, well, first and foremost, Otis, how are you doing today? You doing good? Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm just, I'm chilling. Yeah, I, yeah, no, I just ate a burger and was watching the special features of Akira and, uh, yeah, I was listening to a lot of nerdy guys talk about the art of restoration. Uh, pretty sick. <laughs> pretty sick, if I must say, actually. Now I know how what restoration actually means and how they act, like what it does. Um, well, we can talk know, about I- that. We can definitely talk about that. Um, when what lets, uh, well, you, you, you let the cat out of the bag. Obviously, we are talking about uh, Akira. 1988 Japanese uh, adult anime film. It's a cyberpunk action sci-fi film. Very iconic. Uh, uh, many of you will have seen the poster if you have not seen the movie. Uh, the mm-hmm. poster of, of uh, uh, the main character, Canada, walking to his, uh, his bike, his red bike. Um, and uh, uh, it's based on the 1982 manga of the uh, same name. Um, and it is, uh, a trip, um, a, a kind yeah. of icon of eighties adult, uh, anime, which is something I do want to talk about kind of the, um, uh, child ch- kidification, the ch- child, I, I don't know what the word is, but the, the way that anime kind of, as it was <laughs> disseminated through, uh, uh, our Western culture, it became kind of more of a kid's thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, adult anime films in the 80s, in the 90s, even in the 2000s, were still very much a thing and very much considered um, equal to everything else in cinema in Japan. Uh, yeah. and, and, and very much, um, uh, you know, we talked about this in the Ghost in the Shell episode, but like, they deal with adult themes, lots of uh-huh. violence, lots of nudity, yeah. s- sexual energies. Yeah. Um, so the, we, will, to, we will be mentioning some adult things yeah. in this episode. <laughs> and to clarify, you said the Ghost in the Shell episode. That's, that was actually the Matrix episode. But we just right. ended up talking about Ghost in the Shell so much because yeah. of Matrix's obvious you know, influence. Which with Akira, we'll talk about you know, 
all types of influence, like, you know, just the cyberpunk genre as a whole, you know, sci-fi, animation. Because, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, 80s anime, very, uh, very adult-oriented, very, I'm uh, keeping it in a vein of last week, very incredibly violent as well. Um, very, yes, for adults. And I think watching some of the... Uh, I was watching an interview with the director of Akira, who is also the creator of the manga. And he was saying that, you know, he was inspired a lot by American film of like the new Hollywood era. So like, you know, Bonnie and Clyde, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Easy Rider. So, you know, with that in mind, it you can kind of, uh, you know, watching Akira and, you know, the violence and the style and the themes of it, you can kind of understand how it was sort of also inspired by those American films, which were a big turning point in American cinema of, you know, the late 60s, early 70s, when those movies were made. And, you know, they were sort of like darker uh, themes as well. Uh, so, yeah, I think we're kind of, this is kind of like a different sort of take on some things that we talked about last week. But I think it's, uh, it'll be interesting to talk about it from like the animated perspective. So, yeah. yeah. And I mean, the other thing that you have to keep in mind is like a lot of the animated and adult animated films from the uh, 80s and 90s um, in, in Japan, um, their kind of political and cultural and sociological uh, um, their perspective was so different Mm -hmm. from maybe what was happening in Western culture and society. And um, they, they, they wind up over time drawing on each other and there's this shared influence but a lot of these films are focused on even if not outwardly, but, but in a subtext about kind of Japanese imperialism, the dropping of the atomic bomb, world mm-hmm. war two, um, the, the sudden growth of Japan in the eighties into kind of a, a techno paradise of, of extremely fast technological advancement meets their kind of, cultural structure of of um kind of the way they work the way they live the way they think and Mm -hmm. so what you wind up getting out of it uh then winds up influencing everything in the western cinema i'm I'm, you're right it was the matrix episode but the prime example is ghost in the shell which and akira which um both wound up having profound influences on uh, on on various parts of of uh, of Western film, even even more than that, things in the '90s and and early 2000s or mid 2000s, like uh, Perfect Blue, for example, or um, Paprika, which is uh, heavily influenced Inception. Uh, yeah. You know, like these these um, uh, or or shows like uh, Cowboy Bebop, or even. Um, um, uh, you know, the Ghibli films from that time, Nausicaa Valley mm-hmm. of the Wind and Princess Mononoke and, and you know, um, all of these things wind up having like this weird, they influence the West, the West influenced them. There's like a real connection to them. But in the 80s and the 90s, that sense of 
kind of sudden change and also the memories. I mean, there are films directly about the bombings in, in, in Japan. Um, yeah, but Godzilla. Um, yeah, Godzilla or even um, <laughs> uh, what's the Ghibli film? Um, the Fireflies, the, the, the Brave of the Fireflies. Um, but anyway, you, 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 you wind up seeing these, these connections and especially with Akira. I mean, you look at Akira now and, and a good episode to listen to after this would be, uh, the cyberpunk episode and the matrix episode, because these are two places where this kind of style of adult anime directly influenced like cyberpunk, Mm -hmm. the game has the, a version of the Canada's bike. Like, you know, like it it takes cues from this film visually. um, And as far as like the story and the ideas in it, um, it's, yeah. I mean, what, and on top of that, this movie just looks incredible. Like watching that, we watched it in 4k. We saw the 4k restoration of it. And in theaters, in theaters. And the whole time I was like, this is crazy. And I remember seeing it originally just the regular version and being like, this is crazy. But the re- restoration and seeing everything mm-hmm. like clearly and crisply, it, mm-hmm. it was like a whole new thing. I was like, this is nuts. This is crazy. Yeah, um, it stands, stands like the test of time. Like it's still up there. Like the animation is still up there and still competes with like what animation is like doing today. Like, you know, I would even argue that like stuff of the '80s is probably be- like '70s and '80s animation, especially like the, the more like adult stuff that they were doing. Like, you know, like stuff like this, and then like in America, like the Ralph Bakshi stuff. Like, I would say that that animation is even better than like what they're doing now. I find like a lot of animated stuff now kind of just kind of looks the same, and it doesn't really have like it's sort of own style whereas like everything in akira is like a holy shit like that is so cool like you know and like uh, yeah and i mean you like, also i don't know just just like the just like the colors the design of the city and then like you know like the monsters and stuff like it's all very much like i don't know it's it's so weird because i've seen so much anime and then seeing like oh now you understand like how influential Akira is because you see what Akira did in so much stuff from the nineties and like two thousands. Yeah. And I mean, even, even like, if you think about the like Mecca, uh, um, uh, uh, animes from the eighties and the seventies, like, uh, Appleseed or Gundam, or, um, I mean, even, even Dragon Ball, it comes out of that period and dragon ball the 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 japanese version is wild horny like that that if you watch the japanese version of dragon ball dragon ball z it is not not really for kids like it was heavily edited and recut when mm-hmm. it came over here um way more violent way more cursing way more sex jokes way more everything um yeah, so many characters in Dragon Ball are just the horniest characters ever conceived. Yeah, or like mad racist. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we talked about them so many times, especially in uh, the new like Dragon Ball Z Kai. It's like 
the one dude's just like mad, like overtly racist towards some characters. And it's like, okay, okay, I understand. Like this is animated made up race stuff, but like this this still has hate. <laughs> I can I can still taste the hate in the yeah. air. Um, and then you also had things like Vampire Hunter D, Trigun. Um, you, you know, all of these these film series, they wind up having this kind of relationship with the West where people who were really big film people who went on to be filmmakers became enamored with a lot of the ideas that were, were put forward. Um, and that's from like the late seventies onwards. We've always mm-hmm. had this kind of back and forth relationship, but Akira is beyond that has become like iconography, you know, the posters, yeah the jackets, the bikes, the look, like you said, the look of the city, the uh, animation style. Um, It was prophetic about the coming of Hezbollah. Um, Yep. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm just waiting for that guy to prove that he has psychic powers. And then I'm like, Akira was right. Um, But uh, uh, yeah, yeah, no, Hezbollah has secretly just been fixing fights in Russia for like the last (laughs) couple years. Just don't even, yeah, he's just slowly been just like altering the Russian underground fight scene. See, because he's smart, he's going to start off, you know, just doing small bets, and like you know, eventually he'll like come over here. You know, now he's probably you know he's getting into the UFC. He'll probably work a UFC fight, you know. And, you know, he'll take off with the money and run. You'll never hear from Hasbulla again. You'll be like, where did that he'll, guy go? He'll what literally take off. He'll levitate and then d- blow, blow yeah. through the ceiling. Of the yeah, one day you'll just be watching, like, a UFC event, and a dude will just, like, miraculous. his head will just, like, randomly explode. And people will be like, what the fuck? And then you'll just see a force take off from the audience through the roof. And be like, oh, my God, what happened? And then... Yeah, something catastrophic will probably happen, but hey, you know what? It's all entertainment, baby. Yes, um, and uh, uh, the and like you look at a lot of the other stuff that that's come out, um, and I mentioned Perfect Blue, and the reason why I mentioned Perfect Blue is because uh, Black Swan is takes directly from it um, uh, as an example of non sci fi or non action or non whatever. Um, that this isn't just a only sci-fi or only action thing. Like this, this relationship is, is, it is, goes deep. Uh, the more you look at it, the more you explore it, the more you see how much kind of the, the Japanese anime took from Western film, added their own kind of mindset to it and their own style and their own design and and then they uh 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 and then the west took it and amalgamated parts of what they made into us and it's just become this like kind of cycle cyclical thing uh which is why i think i always thought when we were in film studies uh and going to university i always thought that that kind of anime was so important especially cinematic anime um mm-hmm. and stuff like akira uh which um you know, we we should, again, I should mention, if you watch this movie, this movie is not for children. Do not watch it with your children. Do not bring, it will scare the living shit out of them. Um, and also- Yeah, people either scare them or they just won't understand it at all. Because I, as an adult, am still questioning some things that happen in this movie. So 
but yes, frightening. Uh, and violent. Very, and, like, yes. the, there is uh, lots of people just getting killed in very violent. There's a part where a bike flies through a restaurant window and the tire explodes a man's head. That's, yeah. and that's like within the first like 15 minutes, not even. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, visually incredible, stylistically incredible. Um, it's, it's a little dense. You, you kind of have to watch it a few times to fully understand mm-hmm. what's going on because there's a lot of characters that they just don't really explain uh, or they do explain, but it's done in this fairly anime way of things happening very quickly because the pacing yeah. moves relatively moves along. You know, it's, it's not a, it doesn't uh, lull on a lot of things, um, but it is worth the rewatch. Um, I've seen it many, many times and I thoroughly uh, recommend going to see the 4k restoration because it was, it was beautiful. Um, just as far as like animation and visuals, it was, it was incredible. Um, mm-hmm. I guess we should get to the story of the film. Um, yes. Oh, I should say uh, it was uh, directed by uh, Katsuhiro Otomo um, with the screenplay from Katsuhiro Otomo and Izu Hashimoto. Um, uh, again, uh, based on the the manga by Katsuhiro Otomo again, um, and uh, it was um, uh, released and distributed by Toho, uh, a major Japanese uh, film distribution and production company, um, and um, it was released in July sixteenth, on July sixteenth in nineteen eighty eight. Uh, and it was released the following year, so 1989 in the United States. Uh, and um, it was an international cult hit um, and earned over $80 million worldwide in home video sales. It's been cited as a masterpiece uh, in, and uh, is widely regarded by audience and critics alike as one of the greatest films ever made especially in the field of animation and in the action and science fiction genres. Um, It is a pillar landmark pinnacle of Japanese animation and considered one of the most influential and iconic anime films ever made. Um, It also is a pivotal film in the cyberpunk genre, particularly the Japanese cyberpunk subgenre, as well as adult animation without Akira, you probably wouldn't have gotten ghost in the shell some of the stuff that comes afterwards. Um, And this was one of the films along with um, some of the stuff that was brought over and recut and the studio Ghibli films uh, and things like ghost in the shell or paprika later down the line, or even, I mean, people were watching Appleseed and and vampire Hunter D and Trigun and all that stuff when I was in high school. But this is one of the ones that came over here and dug its hooks into the kind of cultural psyche uh, that that paved the way for the growth of anime and Jap- Japanese pop culture in the Western world. Um, and as we said, influenced numerous works in animation, comics, film, music, television, and video games. Um, also, it introduced what is known as the Akira slide uh, in, mm-hmm. in, in motorcycle maneuvers, which has been recreated in everything from mission impossible to other animes to video games. It is the iconic, uh, turning the bike sideways and sliding. 
You yeah, know? I mean, you've seen it in every single Fast and Furious movie where there's a motorcycle. I'm sure John Wick has done it. Uh, I mean, there's Bollywood movies where dudes have done it on horseback. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Where else has it happened? Yeah, in every video game, if there's a motorcycle mission, it's happened. Yeah, if there's a motorcycle somewhere. I mean, now this this thing is so ingrained in culture that I'm pretty sure, you know, people are like, yeah, do that slide thing. They wouldn't even know that it came from Akira. Uh, I feel like, yeah, that's just one of those things that was just permeated into uh, pop culture. Like even Kanye West has done it for fuck's sake. I'm pretty sure in stronger video, um, which was just Akira, by the way, that music video. It's just Akira. That's all it is. That's when Kanye West was in his anime bag. Uh, well, yeah. Before he so, went, anyways. before he went into his anti-Semitic bag. Um, yeah. And now he's in his uh, thank you, Jonah Hill bag. Yeah, just, I don't know what's going on. Fuck that guy. I don't know. Um, Fuck him. <laughs> anyway, so this film is, uh, it's set in 2019. So, you know, a couple of years ago, um, following a, wo- a world war that was triggered by the Damn. sudden destruction of Tokyo on July 16th, 1988. It takes place Can in a city. Just oh, go ahead. talk on that for a second? Like, how we are now living in years that were supposed to be, like, sci-fi years? Like... We have now passed even the first, I think the first Blade Runner is also Mm -hmm. set in like 2019, I think, or it's like 2020 or something like that. So now like we have passed what what sci-fi predicted that we would be at. And you know what? I feel like, I don't know. When did- I feel like we should be further along than fucking Tesla cars. I feel like- well, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's because there's a bunch of people around the world arguing about a woman's right to have an abortion or trans kids or or drag show readings. I don't know. I think everybody, we, there's a, a big regression going on. We could be a lot farther along if people would stop being so goddamn Yeah, I dumb. mean, here's the thing. So here's what I'm going to say. We need to kill Kid Rock and everyone that listens to him because I want flying cars. I want a fucking flying car in my lifetime. And I know the people that are holding us back from achieving such things. So fuck you, Kid Rock. Yeah, um, uh, and, and we should say here, unequivocally, uh, protect trans kids. Um, you know, uh, we, are, we are against all of that here, obviously. Uh, and And we're we're pro pro choice pro everything all those whack jobs down there yeah. that, that's not i'm our big bag. pro bud light always have been yeah. always will be i'm i like a nice light beer what can i say hit me up with the shittiest light lager you got and i'm happy <laughs> yeah um and so so but uh you know those things are happening and i feel like we're there's a lot of cultural dialogues happening right now that are hindrances mm-hmm. and political political movements that are hindrances to our growth. We could be do we could all be doing Akira slides on our cool bikes. Yeah. Um, I want a Tron bike. That's what I want. Uh, and so maybe, maybe they need to give their head a shake and figure it out. But like, I don't know what the, I don't know what the hell's going on. I don't want to get into the talk about co- politics anyway. No. Fuck those people. Um, I want cool bikes, cool cars. Let's get with it. I want anime girls projected in my night skyline. Okay, that's what I want to see. I want to look out my apartment and have a giant, hundred foot tall, hot Asian woman come and present 
uh, an add to me. I yeah. know that's Blade Runner 2049, but still, it's also this movie too. <laughs> I wouldn't care if there was a giant projection of Anna Darmus. I'd be in for it. Yeah, exactly. That. I'd be, that's sick. Fuck yeah. Um, anyway, uh, uh, it, it is kind of funny, you know, looking back on it, to see that we've passed a lot of these these years in these films that at the time it's like, whoa, 2019, so far away. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, we got some technology right now. I mean, we are recording a podcast in two different houses over the internet. And and yeah. I do have uh, uh, all information available to me through the internet on my phone, which I can also edit images on and play video games on. So that's, you know, we do kind of live in the future, but it could be more future. <laughs> We could we could be further yeah. along um, <laughs> if we stop caring about dumb things, um, the wrong things. Uh, stop moving backwards, I guess is what I'm saying. But anyway, Neo Tokyo is the city that uh, the film takes place in. Oh, you know what? I joke I was going to make before, as you were saying we've passed 2019. I was going to say when did Hasbulla start posting? This is this is starting to make sense now. Um, but but uh, I missed the joke. Um, but it, I just, I had to bring it back because I saw 2019 again. And then I thought about, you know, I think you, there could be an argument here. I would, this could be a deeper dive that we go into in the coming weeks of is Hasbulla and an actual you know, <laughs> government experiment. Does he have telekinetic powers? Uh, I guess we'll have to see. I mean, we'll I'm pretty sure he, I'm pretty sure he is from, uh, the Eastern Bloc from Russia. So, like, you know, there's a lot of uh, nuclear uh, radiation. Yeah. So. Or is this just the peak uh, DNA of what happens if you wear tracksuits and smoke around buckets, like, while crouching? If this is what happens. Now he is just optimal size. He, see, he doesn't have to crouch around the bucket. He is just proper <laughs> crouching size. Now, see, he he figured it out. Somebody, if whoever genetically coded has Bula, it's like, okay, this guy is going to be a bucket smoking did machine you, right now. Did you see the video of him on on Mike Tyson's podcast? And he's like <laughs> pretending he's pretending to spar, or he's like punching at Mike Tyson, and Mike Tyson picks him up and starts like rubbing his back and like gives him a kiss on the cheek, like he's a child, but he's like, yeah, he's like twenty Dude. years old. <laughs> yes, I saw somebody. Like comment on that. They're like, Mike Tyson has no idea that this is an adult man. Like yeah. he has no idea. He fully <laughs> believes. He's it's like so wholesome. He's like pretending to spar with him, and then he picks him up and hugs him, and he's like rocking back and forth. And I'm like, Mike Tyson, this he means so well in this oh, yeah. instance. And he's just like, <laughs> look at this little guy. He's so great. And picks him up. But Hasbulla's like, yeah, he's like 19 or something or 18. He's somewhere between 20 and 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 18. And he's like he's an adult, um, yeah. in the tiny body. Um, mm -hmm. He's which, held an AK forty seven already. Yeah, which yeah. comes back to the film actually. So Neo Tokyo, <laughs> Tokyo is plagued by corruption, anti government protests, terrorism, and gang violence. It's it's heavily implied that there is a very wide divide between the rich and the poor. Um, during a violent rally, the hot headed uh, uh, Canada leads his vigilante Bosuzuko gang, the capsules. Uh, Bosuzuko meaning uh, uh, it's a Japanese youth subculture associated with customizing motorcycles. Um, he, nice. takes the, he takes the capsules and rides against the rival clown gang. Um, and there's this okay. amazing sequence where 
uh, they're driving through the city and they go into the abandoned part of old town and they're, they're doing, you know, trying to take down the clowns and they're, they're fighting on the bikes, real cool action. Um, but during that, uh, uh, fight Canada's best friend Tetsuo, um, he inadvertently crashes his motorcycle into, um, a Hasbula kid. Uh, yeah, Takashi. He's a small little guy. He's, he's an esper. Um, esper? Yeah, that's what they Yeah, call. extra extra sensory perception. He's a mm. he's a ESP psychic little uh a green, blue, blue, green little man who looks kind of like blue. Hasbula. If I was green, I would die. I believe. Uh, yeah, Davidi Davidi. Um yeah. anyways, he 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 uh, uh Tetsuo tries to like um I guess he's got this complex where he's he he wants to be more um he wants to be to be more uh, uh held in higher esteem he, he feels mm. like the canada and the rest of them they tease him and they think he's not capable so he he tries to take down this guy on the bike and and then he winds up crashing because he nearly uh, uh runs over uh takashi this this little psychic uh baby man um <clears throat> And Takashi had escaped from this government laboratory uh, with the aids of with the aid of a resistance organization, and, and you're introduced to him during a protest. They're looking for him. Uh, you're introduced to some of the other characters. Uh, the police and the protesters are clashing. Uh, people are getting shot. It's like a pretty pretty intense scene. Um, mm-hmm. And after the crash, and they all catch up to uh, to, to to Tetsuo, um, the Japanese self defense forces. Um, uh, assisted by a fellow ESP, Esper, uh, f- fellow small baby with psychic powers of strange color, um, whose name is Masuro. Yeah, is this the Professor X baby man? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah he's uh, got his weird floating uh, the wheelchair crib? thing, or wheelless crib? chair, I crib? should say. I don't hide crib, wheelchair. I, I, yeah, what, what is this thing? What, what's, you know, what's it, kind his, of, it kind of looks like what Grogu goes around in. Well, there's another connection, isn't it? Huh. Okay, so okay, so we got Baby Man and Baby Yoda connection. Yes. Okay. Um, okay. The Japanese, the Japanese self defense forces come in their helicopters and they uh, uh, fly over with uh, Colonel uh, Shikishama. He, they recapture Takashi uh, and uh, to take Tetsuo to the hospital, and uh, and he arrests the biker gang. Um, yeah. While being interrogated by the police, Kanada meets Kai, K, uh, who's an activist within the res- yeah. resistance movement and one of the people that was helping Takashi escape. Um, and uh, uh, he tricks the authorities into releasing her with his gang. There's also like a guy who starts like fighting the cops and all this stuff is going on and they manage to get out uh, and mm-hmm. not get in trouble. Uh, there's tons of other people there too. It seems like crime is running rampant in this Neo Tokyo town. It's so corrupt. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that, you got. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was. It was just like every uh, like cyberpunk sci-fi like city like metro area. It's always just like the crime is always like so fucking crazy. Like it's always like like Gotham levels bad like it's like comically bad it's like you have like the most like insane police force ever but yet you also have like the craziest amount of I guess maybe that's something I don't know the, the, 
do you feel like there's more crime? Like the more intense the cops get, do you think that breeds more crime, or do you think I crime... think that, I think that a over militarized police force shows that a uh, a a government is more interested in protecting the properties and interests of the government mm-hmm. <laughs> as opposed to the people, you know, okay. if police show up at your house, <coughs> excuse me, if police show up yeah. at your house and they all have like AK 47s and like a tank, you know, uh, it shows that it's, it's, you know, um, that they are not only aware of, of a kind of disparity that might cause a rise in crime, but are also mm-hmm. putting money into those policing organizations instead of into the community. Uh, and also, I mean, I think it's just a general showing of, <clears throat> of misallocation of funds, corruption, uh, wealth divide, all those things. Like, I think it's because, I mean, look at the United States. Yeah. Right. So like, no, I, think, obviously. I think, I think it is a, it is a good um, kind of uh, uh, indicator of, of, of mm-hmm. this kind of problem, this corruption, these things happening. Yeah. Um, but I also think they take it to a comical level in the cyberpunk. I mean, that's, you know, part of it that they're, they're yeah. <clears throat> supposed to be so in your face, you know? Yeah. Cause it is something that's prevalent in, I guess, most sci-fi is sort of like you know the the dark side of like the military industrial complex and it like going like to the most extreme and you know the police it's becoming a police state like hyper militarized and just you know there's a presence everywhere and like i don't know i've i just i've just it's just been a thing that's always been in sci-fi for like as long as like i can remember like you know like obviously it's in this it's in any it's in the uh ghost in the shell you know the matrix obviously um uh, in like the cyberpunk game you know it's and i'm just i don't know I, it's just something that i've recognized and it's like ah yes yeah the anti corporation sort of thing and you know how that bleeds into the sort of militarized uh you know police state it's just something that's always there, but I just never gave it much well, thought. But obviously, yeah. there's something to it, obviously, yeah, because that is obviously where, you know, look at, you know, America and how much money they spend on their military a year as per, you know, yeah, like, I mean, instead look of at, look other at, things. Look at USA versus a country like Denmark, right? Yeah. Where Denmark, a lot of it is far more socialized. There's a lot more care put on the community as opposed to, and, and, and rehabilitation as opposed to mm-hmm. <clears throat> for-profit prison systems and police forces that are kind of mm, uh, uh, controlled by politicians, controlled by the mm-hmm. whims and interests of politicians and not necessarily meant to serve and protect. Now I'm not, not to say that there aren't people who are in law enforcement or, in the military that go into it with the best intentions, but unfortunately mm-hmm. it's a system uh, or it's a, um, a symptom of, of, of kind of corruption. And I think that that's yeah. something that they tapped into as, as uh, or at an early time, probably because of the war, um, probably because they saw the way that things happened in the war. Uh, um, I mean, you know, not to get too deep into it, but think about 
the rise of Nazism and everything. Like at one point, everybody mm-hmm. was like, I mean, they had a Nazi rally in New York City, right? Like people didn't care until all of a sudden, oh, there's a oh, secret yeah, police. Oh, yeah, in the 1920s. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then all of a sudden there's a secret police and people are being killed on a mass scale and they're trying to invade everybody. And, you know, <clears throat> so I think that that's, that's part of it too, this idea of kind of, uh, corruption breeding fascism that's based in the uh, interests of the government. But um, anyway, so at a secret facility and it's a hidden government faci- uh, facility, the Colonel and his head of research, Dr. Onishi discover that Tetsuo uh, has been awakened. His, his powerful psychic abilities have been awakened due to his interaction with um, Takashi and, uh, <clears throat> and he has abilities that seem uh, reminiscent of a previous child who had uh incredible abilities known known as akira and akira was the one that was responsible yes. for the destruction of tokyo in 1988 yes um, the original hasbula yes uh and uh esper kyoko the third uh uh little psychic baby person um known uh, uh forewarns shikishima uh shikishima of neo tokyo's impending destruction um uh and says that you know pretty much akira is going to happen again if you if you don't be careful um yeah. and uh and so he goes to the city's parliament and and he tries to talk to them about it and says you know we shouldn't be worrying about all these trivial things that we're worrying about like there's something that's going to happen we need to uh uh we need to um we need to 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 you know get focus on the right things and they're all yeah. like screw you buddy um because they're all rich corrupt politicians they're all like you man whatever we're gonna get we're gonna get you out of your do- out of your job you sound like a nut job what are you doing um <clears throat> and then meanwhile tetsuo um uh uh what he shikishima shikishima considers killing tetsuo to prevent another cataclysm uh, they go back and forth with the doctor. The doctor's really uh, interested in keeping around because he's so close to Akira. And, you know, there's some back and forth there. Um, mm-hmm. And also the... Uh, um, is this, is this the doctor that also looks like the little Hezbollah boys? No. He's the, or is the, that the, the tall, weird guy. Remember, he's yeah. he, at the end. He's in the in the in the trailer, looking at them, and he's like, "Oh my god, they look so good. It's so crazy. He's so, so powerful." Yeah, yeah that guy. the ugliest things ever, but just made them look like him because it's a freak. Ew. Um, Gross. so uh, at the hospital, Tetsuo escapes, and uh, he steals Canada's motorcycle and tries to flee Neo Tokyo with his girlfriend Kaori, but the clowns ambush them. Um, they uh, they. Uh, uh, so intend to just start sexually assaulting yes, his girlfriend. Yes, this, this scene is a little bit <laughs> comes out of nowhere. It comes out of nowhere, but they they uh, they they get they knock him off the bike and they grab her and there's some you know fudgy uh, uh, squeezies. Yeah, and uh, but luckily the capsules they rescue Tetsuo and Kaori um, from the clowns uh, and. Um, and uh, and they're able to save them before anything terrible happens. But uh, Tetsuo starts having these inc- incredible headaches and hallucinations, and he's like, you know, something's wrong with him. And so the the government comes, the self defense force, and the colonel come and pick him up again. 
they take him to the to the hospital and they put him under uh, again and start giving him medication. Um, overhearing their plan to rescue Tetsuo and the other espers, uh, Canada joins Kei, or Kai's resistance cell. Um, mm. He kind of like sneaks in and listens to them, and then they find him, and and uh, and then they they wind up. Uh, uh, he he over. I think he sees her in the mall. They're in the in the on top of a bridge, chilling. He sees her. He goes after her. There's a terrorist attack, and then he follows them, saves her life. And uh, and then and then is brought back and and uh, and and interrogated, and uh, eavesdrops on on their plan. And he's like, "Yo, I can help you because I know the kid. Uh, I know Tetsuo. He's my buddy. He's like my best friend. I can help you guys." Uh, and so they go to the hospital. Um, uh, but before they can get there, before they they head over there, uh, the the three. Uh, freaky kids the the espers they decide yeah. that they're going to kill tetsuo um uh and they're they're going to stop him before he gets too powerful um and so they show up in his bedroom as giant toys and uh, other horrific uh uh, oh, yeah. uh nightmare scenarios and attempt to kill him but he is able to stop them um yeah. this is a scene i always forget that happens in this movie and it's so fucking weird because it comes like out of nowhere he's just sleeping and then out of nowhere these tiny little toys are just like walking on his bed and you're kind of like oh this is uh this is cool this is adorable what's this little thing and then next thing you know like this tiny little bear becomes like this giant evil fucking bear that's like melting and it's just like it's like it's bad bad mushroom trip like it's like yeah it's literally the accurate it's like an accurate depiction of like a, a trip going from great to the worst thing possible but and, and, uh, and visually it's sick like it's oh it's, yeah it's such so a cool, visually well done. so cool um but tetsuo starts realizing he has powers at this point mm-hmm. where he he stops them he thwarts them he kind of gains control of his his uh psychic telekinetic powers and he and he yeah. stops them and then he gets angry because he's like yo i'm gonna kill these kids and so he blows out the door of his hallway goes out and just starts searching the base for them um also during this point he vaporizes people he like causes whole like there's one dude he just like meant uses his mind to like explode he's like blowing off doors and just killing you start seeing that he's like going crazy man like he's this Mm -hmm. is there's some real violent stuff in this part but it's cool like it's like yo um but also kind of like whoa and um and uh at this time the resistance group infiltrates the hospital and uh and kyoku uh kyoko kyoko sorry one of the uh espers uh draws k in canada into shikishima uh, and the Esper's futile attempts to stop Tetsuo. First, they they get into the the uh, sewage system. There's kind of a scuffle with some of the guards, the security that's that's searching it. There's some really cool hover bike scenes. Um, but Kyoko uh, goes into Kei's mind and is like, "Yo, you have to come here. Like, come to where I am," um, because Tetsuo has arrived where the Esper's are and where. Uh, 
the colonel is and he's just like going nuts he's like trying to kill him trying to blow up the room he's like causing like whole sections of the ceiling to fall down um and uh and there kyoko kyoko tells tetsuo that akira who is uh, located actually in this cryogenic storage beneath the olympic stadium's construction site could help tetsuo with his powers but if he doesn't he's going to cut like it's going he's going to be not going to be able to control it cuz he's mm. too powerful um but he rejects everybody including canada who arrives and is like yo man like are you okay and he's like screw you like you always make me think that i'm the one that need help and now i'm the one that has all the power and i'm the one that can do whatever and he pretty much is like flips him yeah. off uh, and is like French. which like Fuck, fuck Tetsuya, because, like, Canada, he's just being a sick dude all the time. He's just a chill guy. Like, he's, so, like, Tetsuya's just mad at him for just constantly being chill. And it's like, no, I'm not trying to belittle you, dude. Like, I'm just that chill. And I'm always just, like, looking out for the dog. So, like. Yeah, he's like, I'm him. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and then and then Tetsuya's like, no, I'm him now. And he's blowing up the room, doing all this crazy stuff. Um. And he pretty much says no. He shoots Canada through the wall out into the sky, um, and and is pretty much like I'm I'm going to find Akira, and I think he's he's like I'm gonna kill him, um, yeah. And and I'm gonna be the one. I'm I'm him now, and so <clears throat> uh, um, using uh, both uh, um, Tetsuo or Canada gets saved. Uh, mm-hmm. but both Canada and, and Kai are, are sent to jail and, um, and Kyoku using Kai as a medium, uh, breaks them out of military custody. And, uh, and during this time, because the Colonel is like, yo, we got to do something about this. And they are like, you don't, you're not going to be as he's leaving to go find Tetsuo, the leaving the building. The government mm-hmm. shows up and is like, "Yo, we're gonna, we're we're stripping you of your power. You're no longer the colonel for the for the Japanese defense special or self defense forces. You get no more power. You're no longer sitting on the on the board. Like you, you're done." And he's like, "Nah, man, not today." And just decides to stage a military coup. Um, hell yeah! <laughs> well, not hell yeah, but I guess in his his eyes, he's like, yeah, hell yeah. he's like, but, he's uh, like, hell yeah. And then directs its military forces to destroy tetsuo at any costs at this time and throughout the film there are kind of uh you're shown that there are a lot of people who believe that akira is a god figure that yeah that, that this has become kind of like a new god there are people who believe that akira will come back and will cleanse the city of all the corruption as it did the as as he did the first time and that this mm-hmm. is like that's their belief system. And as this starts happening where Tetsuo is heading to the Olympic Stadium, then the military starts attacking him and he's just doing quick, quick work because he's getting stronger and stronger, throwing tanks and destroying bridges and, and like yeah. doing all this stuff. And, the, and these people who have been kind of um, under the boot, the, the heel of the boot of the government for a long time, and who these people who live in poverty or these people who want this change, they all start following him and start saying he's, you know, 
Akira, come back. And so there's all these mm-hmm. people following him. But you quickly realize Tetsuo doesn't give a shit about them because he starts blowing up a bridge with them on it. He doesn't care. Oh, yeah. He did, he doesn't, like, give a fuck. Yeah. But, like I, like, I don't know. But if you lived in, like, it, it's crazy thinking of, like, because like, that's, like, not even... If this was actually happening, I would probably be, like, an... A, a cult dude for sure i would be like hell yeah akira he's coming back because it's like if the government's making like little telekinetic has bula babies like <laughs> yeah that, that's god level shit like yeah. they're literally making god like so like if i if i'm going to be a street preacher and like there has literally been like uh you know cataclysmic like explosion because of some god shit like, I don't know, man. I, I would definitely be in, like, the Akira cult, for sure. I feel like if if I knew about... I don't know. It's... it. I mean, like, put yourself in that it's, world, right? It's, yeah, because there's, like... Because, uh, like, I'm thinking, like, even in Fallout... Oh, what the fuck are they called in Fallout? Where there's this uh, cult where there's, like, an unblown-up nuclear bomb. And they just, like, build around it and just, like, pray to the bomb. But it's, like... They're in like post-apocalyptic society, and they're just like, "Ah, this is our god now. Is this thing that could possibly kill us at any moment?" And uh, yeah, yeah. And then all out, you can either kill them or uh, let them survive. I kill them all the time. They always—that's the thing. I would join the cult, knowing like I'm going to die like a crazy death. <laughs> um. <clears throat> so also another thing that I forgot to mention is. Prior to this uh, uh, war path that that um, Tetsuo goes on, well, it's the start of it. He goes to the capsule's former hangout, the Haruyukiya Haruyukiya bar. I can't. I'm sorry if I'm butchering that. Um, and he goes to the bartender and is like, "Yo, give me a bunch of drugs." And the bartender's like, "Oh, are you sure?" And he just kills the bartender because he's like, "Just give me your bag of drugs, man." And so he takes a bunch of drugs. On top of that, I assume it's kind of like some sort of like meth or some something because they they earlier in the film they it's I think it's implied that they go there and get some and it makes them you know, they get high or whatever. But know, he's like eating them. Meth. Yeah. He's like eating. He's like eating them like Tic Tacs, and uh, and two of his former gang mates, uh, Yamagata and Kai, come to the bar to hang out and they find Tetsuo and they're like, "Yo, what the hell is going on?" Uh, and Tetsuo's like, yo, where's Kaneda's bike? Like, I want, I want his bike. I need to go to this place. And, uh, and they're like, what's wrong with you? Like, you, you know, what you killed the bartender? Like, what are you okay? Like, you're not yourself. And, uh, and then, um, Tetsuo's like, oh, you're right. And kills one of them. Uh, so at that point you realize this guy doesn't care anymore. He's, he's gone off the rails. He is, his psychosis has become bigger than, than himself uh and that's when he goes on the kind of through the city blowing shit up destroying tanks and they're all shooting at him but they can't hit him because he's telekinetic he's just like it's like a um the matrix you know where he stops all the bullets like he he doesn't they can't hit him he's just doing he's just walking around blowing things up um and uh uh finally he arrives at akira's cryogenic storage uh under the stadium um and uh uh they try to stop him uh kai fights tetsuo but he defeats her uh there's also this implication that that kai is also 
this this psychic um, character and the the espers the, the the baby people can tell who is and who isn't mm-hmm. and so Kyoko and her together try and fight him but he's uh, unable to defeat her and uh, and he exhumes Akira only to find his remains in sealed jars for scientific research. Um, Kaneda arrives uh, with a laser rifle to try and fight him. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and the colonel fires an orbital laser weapon at him. Um, the orbital weapon huh, destroys like his arm. Uh, but yeah, GTA Online. <laughs> um, exactly. Uh, yeah. But the, and even though the uh, orbital weapon manages to destroy his arm, neither the colonel or Kaneda are, are able to stop him. And it's a really long, cool fight where they're going back and forth and the laser is shooting. Um, uh, Tetsuo goes into space and blows up the space laser. He doesn't care. He's at this point going full evil Superman mode. Um, and, uh, and he makes himself a robotic arm. Uh, and, um, and, uh, uh, he goes to the stadium, uh, the Colonel and, and his and uh, Tetsuo's girlfriend Kaori approach the stadium where T- Tetsuo is now chilling with his robotic arm. Uh, Kaneda survives the yeah. fight. Uh, uh, Kay survives the fight. Kai survives the fight. Um, so everybody's still alive at this point. Um, but you mm-hmm. can tell that Tetsuo, his headaches are getting bad. He's in great pain and he's losing control over his power. Um, <clears throat> and so. His girlfriend tries to restrain him and keep him busy while the colonel unsuccessfully offers to heal his injuries and help control his abilities with, with uh, uh, medicine. He says, you've got to come back. You've got to take the medicine. We can control your abilities. We can keep you under control. And I think that that's, the, that's what made the kids look like the way they did was the medicine. I think that's what's implied is that the mm. medicine makes them look like that. <clears throat> and because I, th- I think he says, what, you want me to look like them? And like, you know, anyway, Canada shows up again uh, on his bike and uh, and get they that Benjamin are Benjamin Button juice. Yeah. Get, hit the say. Benji button. Um, <laughs> and they the, he arrives again also to fight him. Um, and uh, and and that's when it goes absolutely nuts. If it hasn't already been nuts where oh, yeah. uh, Tetsuo turns into a gigantic mass of flesh. Uh, limbs metal um he just becomes this giant uh freak um and yeah he, real blob yeah he loses, he loses complete control and becomes uh, uh this this thing uh and he engulfs uh uh Kaneda and 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 his girlfriend kaori and um and the uh um uh, and nearly kills the colonel and the espers um, while he has sucked in Canada and Kaori. He's saying, I can't stop it. I don't know how to stop it. Get out, save yourself, please save my girlfriend. Uh, but unfortunately his girlfriend is crushed into a bloody pulp. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, and Canada is only able to escape after uh, the espers revive the long dead Akira uh, to stop Tetsuo, this mass blob Tetsuo. Um, 
And after reuniting with his friends, Akira creates a singularity, drawing Tetsuo and Kaneda into another dimension. And the escorts teleport the colonel to a safe distance as the singularity destroys Neo Tokyo in a mirror of, pre- of the old Tokyo's previous destruction. Um, the espers agree to rescue Kaneda, knowing that they will not return to this uh, their dimension uh, as a result, that they will stay with Akira and Tetsuo in their own dimension for eternity. Um, but they say that Kaneda is brave and worked and, and, you know, he deserves to live. So they allow him to exit the singularity and survive after the uh, explosion happens. And the uh, three little Hezbollah, you know, tiny green, purple, blue, whatever color they are, kids, yeah. uh, go go yeah. with uh, the god Akira and Tetsuo into everything, nothing. They go into their dimension. Um, and during the singularity, Kaneda experiences Tetsuo and the Esper's childhoods, including his and Tetsuo's friendship and the Esper's psychic training before Tokyo's destruction. The Esper's return Kaneda to Neo Tokyo, informing him that Akira will take Tetsuo to safety and that, uh, that, that Kai is developing psychic powers herself, that she will be able to, uh, uh, that she should be, you know, trained and that he he should know Mm -hmm. this um the dr onishi which is what witnesses the birth of a universe but is killed in the lab's destruction um and after consuming most of neo tokyo the singularity disappears and water floods the crater left in its place morning tetsuo's lost kaneda discovers that k uh that kai and or i guess k and kai that's why i keep getting confused they're literally the same name mm. with just one E and one, uh, one with E and one with A that, uh, okay. that, that uh, Key and Kai have survived and they ride off into the ruins while the Colonel Shikishama watches the sunrise. And we see an unspecified plane of reality, a d- dimension we don't know. Tetsuo introduces himself and triggers the creation of a new universe, finally transcending the limitations of human existence. And the film ends. So, yeah, so I let you just kind of mostly just go through the plot because I still don't know what the fuck happened in this movie. Like, there's so many, like, things, like, I, I don't know. I, I, I really don't understand the plot of this movie. Obviously, you know, he somehow become, by somehow by hitting a kid with his motorcycle, he somehow, like, became possessed with, like, God-level powers. I, I, I don't understand that. And, you know, all the government conspiracy stuff doesn't really make sense. But there's, like, so many cool scenes that are just, like, standouts from this movie. Like, uh, like when they're in, like, the canal area and then, like, the security, like, motorcycle dude is, like, coming by. And, like, the way the water, like, splashes, like, that shit looks so cool. Or the like the you know just the scenes of like the shots of the city and like the giant like high rise like buildings are amazing. And then obviously you know when Tetsuo has his robot monster arm, which also you know Tetsuo the Iron Man the movie like that was one hundred percent where uh, what's this the director of that movie got that idea is literally a character named Tetsuo that's becoming a machine monster thing. So like, you know, that's another thing that was directly inspired by Akira. 
yeah, I feel like you can watch this movie so many times and still not even uh, know what it exactly happened. Like Pear, like I told her, I was talking to her on the phone before we recorded, started recording, and she was like, yeah, it meant to say that like I thought the movie was very pretty. I had no idea what happened because I was kind of stuck looking at the art that I wasn't really reading the subtitles because, you know, just the art style was so gorgeous. So, you know, and that's coming from somebody who is not a fan of anime. It's not really, you know, not a sci-fi fan, not, uh, you know, into violent stuff. But, you know, even she was able to find something amazing about this movie and i think everyone can find something about this movie that is just beautiful <laughs> yeah it's um visually incredible uh mm -hmm. so impressive um some production notes on it um that they uh wound up <clears throat> creating a committee to a partnership of several major japanese entertainment companies that were brought together to realize the production of an Akira film. Um, the director did not intend to adapt the series, but he came very, became very intrigued when the offer to develop his work for the screen was put before him. Um, the uh, Akira committee uh, consisted of Konodasha, uh, Mainichi Broadcasting System, Bandai, uh, Hakuhodo, Toho, Laserdisc Corporation, and uh, Sumitomo Corporation, who all forwarded money and promotion towards the film. Um, the, the animation for the film was provided for by animation producers, Tokyo Movie uh, Shinisha, TMS Entertainment now. Um, Akira had pre-scored dialogue. The dialogue was recorded before the film started yeah. production, so that, uh, uh, and it was the first for an anime production, and extremely unusual even today for anime. Um, although the voice actors did Which... perform with the aid of animatics uh, and super fluid motion as realized in the films, more than 160,000 uh, animation cells. It also was one of the um, animes that introduced computer generated, generated imagery um, created by high tech lab, Japan Inc uh, and, uh, and cooperative companies for computer graphics uh, Sumisho Electronic Systems Inc. and Wavefront Technologies it was primarily used to uh, animate the pattern indicator used by the doctor when he realizes that they have mm. the same wavelength. Uh, but it was additionally mm. used in, uh, to plot the paths of falling objects, model parallax effects on backgrounds, and tweak lighting and lens flares. Um, See, it's weird that uh, like pre-scoring is not like the normal thing to do because to me that makes sense to record like dialogue first and then animate to what, you know, the recording is. That makes more sense to me, but I guess, I don't know. I guess it's not the way to do it. I don't know. Whenever I do animation, I always do, like I always create like basically an audio version of what would be, like I do all the sound design first and then try to create and then, like, obviously, you got to tweak it afterwards. But, like, for the most part, I usually try to do audio before going into, like, the major animation. But I don't know. I, I thought that, I, I, that was a thing that they talked about, too, in the... Uh, uh, I was 
watching an interview with the director of like after it was like in 88 after he had just finished the movie and he's saying how yeah they did pre-scoring and like he personally likes doing pre-scoring because then he felt like you know the actors aren't constrained to you know there's not already the image hasn't already been created so they're not constrained the sort of recreating what's in the image it's allowing the actors to really fully act and give like a really good voice acting performance which to me that just makes sense like i, I don't know why why that just sounds like that just makes sense to me but i guess that is not the uh the standard yeah so um the uh uh the film was released in 1988, two years before the manga officially ended in 1990. Um, the uh, uh, Otomo was claimed to have fil- uh, filled 2,000 pages of notebooks containing various ideas and character designs for the film, but the final storyboard consisted of a trimmed down 738 pages. He had great difficulty completing the manga. Um, I, I would liken it to George R. R. Martin and his. Um, Game of Thrones series that, uh, you know, they he finished the Game of Thrones TV show before the books were done. And now he seems to be having problems finishing the story in a way that, um, and maybe that's, maybe there's something there when you're talking about adaptation and adapting something that wasn't finished. But a cool fact is that uh, Otomo stated that the inspiration for the manga's conclusion arose from a conversation that he had with Alejandro Jodor, uh, how do you say his name? Jodorowsky. Yeah, Jodorowsky. Jodorowsky, yeah. Um, in 1990, uh, who is also an experimental filmmaker and and creative. Um, yeah, um, he's a nut, dude. But if apparently he, that that was, he gave him the inspiration for the conclusion of the manga, which is different from the movie. Um, yeah. He, he later recalled that the film project had to begin with the writing of an ending that would bring suitable care- closure to major characters, storylines, and themes without being extraordinarily lengthy uh, so that he could know in reverse order which manga elements would make the cut into the anime and thus su- uh, suitably resolve the manga's various elements into a lean two-hour story. Um, he has called making the film before finishing the manga the worst possible idea, uh, although he came... So uh, although he came to like having two similar but different versions of the same story, he felt too much of the original was cut out of the film. Well, you know what? You still made a masterpiece. So whatever. Whatever, bud. One cool thing to note is that one of the key animators on this film was Makakiku Futaki. Uh, she went on to become a lead animator for Studio Ghibli. Films such as Kiki's Delivery Service, Princess Mononoke, and Howl's Moving Castle. Three of the one ep- one movie we did talk about on this podcast. Yeah, Kiki's, yeah. Uh, and and two other ones that have become incredibly uh iconic. And if you mm-hmm. think about Princess Mononoke and you think about this movie and you realize the same lead animator, you start to see some similarities. Um Kiki's delivery service, uh, maybe a bit less, although the visuals, as we said when we talked about that film, are incredible. The animation mm-hmm. is incredible. Same with Princess Mononoke. So that's a cool little trivia. Piece of trivia. Um, nice. Uh, let's talk about the... I'm, I'm not going to talk too much about the releasing of it and all that stuff because we are on a bit of a timeline today, but let's talk about the critical response 
Uh, on review aggregator Rotten Tomatoes, the film has an approval score of 91% based on 53 reviews with an average rating of 7.9 out of 10. Uh, the site's critical consensus reads Akira is a strikingly bloody and Akira is strikingly bloody and violent, but it's phenomenal animation and sheer kinetic energy helped set the standard for modern anime. Um, uh, this is a, as far as a contemporary review, which kind of touches on what pear said and what you said, Tony Raines uh, commented in the monthly film bulletin that the narrative was paced at such speed and complexity that viewers who come to it without prior knowledge of the manga version tend to find it almost overpowering, including that the film virtually demands to be read alongside the manga and amounts to to a kind of commentary on it. Um, uh, He said that the film was not particularly groundbreaking as a science fiction comparing the film to be between Blade Runner and 2001 A Space Odyssey, with the film's main achievement being the sheer credibility of his vision of future tech as seen in fully thorough designs of vehicles, laboratory equipment, and that the film yields some extremely arresting images in the film's final closing scenes. Um, And that simply as an animation-only Akira is an undoubted tour de force masterpiece. Um, I would kind of argue that because this is somebody who is a more contemporary review of it Mm -hmm. where it's like oh yeah you know you know the story isn't that groundbreaking but it's like at the time i don't know i feel like that might be like Uh, a little bit of a we're putting on our own our own context of understanding in the wider world of of uh of cinema at the time but if you were somebody who was going to see that movie in 1989 or 1990 yeah it might be pretty pretty crazy and you can't really say that the narrative is paced with such speed and complexity but it's also that people might not get it all but then also be like yeah it's not really that you know it's not really that uh that complicated you know like Mm. it seems seems like you're uh, countering yourself a bit there but uh, uh tony but um yeah uh yeah i'm not sure i don't know because what like yeah because this i i feel like yeah if like at a, as a contemporary kind of does like as we mentioned earlier is that so much of sci-fi and specifically japanese anime was influenced by this film that like yeah now it does kind of seem you know, kind of, you know, old hat. But, like, at the time, yeah, I feel like that this was definitely the only movie that was doing this. And then, yeah, they mentioned Blade Runner, which I think this movie and Blade Runner were really only the sci-fi movies of the 80s that were really that challenging. Like, I feel like, you know, 80s sci-fi was kind of goofy. They were more action oriented than they were sort of like hot hard sci-fi actually kind of like getting to the you know the bottom of like you know because that's what sci-fi is it's always sort of commenting on you know modern day uh difficulties with technology and concerns and fears and whatnot um but even like looking at that like blade runner that was a movie that was like negatively reviewed when it came out and that move that's a movie that has like retrospectively become the classic that it is like yeah. people hated that movie when it came out and yeah i don't know so it, i don't know 
And then, yeah, no, I would say, yeah, definitely what you're saying. Uh, yeah, from a contemporary view, I can see how people would be like, oh, Akira, you know, it's, you know, it touches on a lot of similar things. But it's like, yeah, no, at the time, no one else was doing this. This was why every fucking anime in the 90s had all these like big corpo bad bad guys with robots that are you know kids are trying to take them down and yada 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 all those conventions i think stemmed probably from the popularity of this film a lot of a lot of the critical response to it um there's a lot of praise for the visuals. The drawings of Neo Tokyo by night are so intricately detailed that all the individual windows of huge skyscrapers appear distinct. These night, the night scenes glow with a subtle, vibrant color. Um, it was, uh, um, you know, that they they talked about the 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 lines that follow behind the motorbikes, which is uh, another sick thing that seemingly they made, I, I guess, or. Or maybe it was them copying Tron. I don't know exactly the timeline on it, but putting it in the anime, the lines of light that follow the bike, bikes is it looks amazing visually. Um, and and as far as pacing and the energy of the film, uh, uh, you know, even if there is some kind of um, it, even if it, the film condenses the kind of sprawl of the anime or of the manga version. Um, there's, uh, in the words of, um, Richard Harrison of the Washington post, he says, uh, uh, even though the author had condensed the narrative sprawl of the comics to provide coherence, though there's a bit of back to the future part two incompleteness to the story, it hardly matters since the film moves with such kinetic energy that you'll be hanging on for dear life. Roger Ebert compared it to Mad Max, calling it very gory, very gruesome, but entertaining in its own demented way. Um, uh, Empire, uh, Kim Newman of Empire wrote the commends the film's scintillating animated visuals with not one, not one computer assisted shot in sight, uh, which is kind of, kind of wrong, but you know, good, good try, Kim. Um, <laughs> and, uh, um, uh, Dean Pars or Dan Parsons of Cinefantastique listed the film of one of the 10 essential animations, simply referring to the film as the film that changed everything. Um, the uh, soundtrack uh, was uh, recorded by uh, Gaino. You're not going to be able to say the, that. I don't know what, I, this is tough. Uh, Yamashiro Gumi? Yeah, Gaino Yamashiro Gumi. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, it was uh, composed and conducted by musical director Shoji Yamashiro. Uh, which was a pseudonym of Sutomu Ohashi uh, and was performed by the collective Gaino uh, uh, Yamashirogumi. Um, the soundtrack draws heavily from traditional Indonesian gameland music and uh, elements of Japanese no music. Um, and uh, soundtrack it, slaps. Yeah, the soundtrack let's just, goes let's hard. Let's just say that first and foremost. Like, it goes so hard. Like, it has no right being so fucking good. Like, that's another standout thing of this movie is just, like... Because the music's weird, too. Like, it's not... Like, it's so odd and doesn't kind... Like, it doesn't seem like it fits what's on the there, screen. But yet, at the same time, it perfectly does. It's so weird. 
Yeah, it's a, it's it's very much like almost because like I think the the elements of the Japanese no music and and no mm-hmm. was the uh, a form of classical Japanese dance drama. Um, yes, and the Indonesian uh, um, uh, gamelan is uh, um, uh, again like hand played drums. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of it is very rhythmic. There's a lot of like big percussive hits and then people kind of ah, in the background it makes it seem like almost kind of like ethereal and like mystical a lot mm. of the time it gives a very very big size to some scenes where you're shown moments of tension or action or huge spaces and there's this bare very percussive um mystical sounding uh, uh, soundtrack behind it. It just gives it this flavor that like just goes so hard. It's so sick. And obviously the soundtrack spawned albums of Electronica remixes. Um, there's one from Buana called Capsules Pride. Uh, samples from the Akira soundtrack have been featured in numerous other hip hop and electronic music tracks over time. It's uh, it's uh, um, uh, it it was uh, uh it, it's around you can find it when you watch the movie there will be some parts that you hear that you're like oh huh yeah i've heard you know. that before um uh, some other adaptations there was a uh a akira adventure game made for famicom exclusively in japan there was one for the atari jaguar super nes genesis and sega being developed, but they were canceled along with prospects prospects of another Akira title for the Game Boy and Game Gear. Um, there were a couple other games that were made, but nothing, um, nothing really. There was like an Akira Psycho Pinball game that was released for PlayStation <laughs> Two. I don't know. They never were Very able cool. to to really adapt this, and I don't think that they should adapt it into a video game. There was a yeah. live action film that was planned. Uh, in 2002, Warner Brothers acquired the rights to create a live-action remake of Akira as a seven-figure deal. The live-action remake has got, undergone several failed attempts to produce it with at least five different directors and ten different writers known to have been attached to it. In 2007, director Taika Waititi was named as the film director for the live-action adaptation. Uh, they had scheduled the film for the release on in May of 2021. And the film was planned to start in California. Or filming was planned to start in California in 2019. However, Warner Brothers put the work on indefinite hold just f- prior to filming uh, as YTD had chosen to first direct Thor Love and Thunder, the sequel to Thor Ragnarok, which he also directed. So we yeah, may yet get maybe a lot. He shouldn't have. <laughs> maybe he shouldn't have. Um, yeah. I, I, uh, uh, I, I mean... I am excited for the idea of Taika Waititi directing uh, a, a Akira film. Um, but do we need a live action one? I don't know. No, no, I if, don't really think so. If history, uh, you know, can speak for itself, adaptations of anime movies do not go over well. They don't. Um, you know, just, let's look. Let's look. Any live action Dragon Ball, trash. Live action Death Note, trash. Live action Ghost in the Shell, trash. Live action Cowboy Bebop. They canceled that shit immediately. They gave that shit like two days and then Netflix was like, nah. Nah. Uh, so, like, you know, it's, people think they want it. That's for sure. People think they want it. But the fact is, 
the people just want the anime. And, you know, when you have something that's so good as what it is, like, why fuck with it? Why, why? Why? What are you going to accomplish in live action that hasn't, that the film itself already did not accomplish? Like, now if you were to do one, what, what could you do? Now you have the full manga to adapt. You know, so you could do a full adaptation of the manga as, you know, how that story plays out. But then, you know, why don't, why don't you just go do the manga? And I think... And this is interesting because, you know, last week we were talking about No Country for Old Men and how that is such a great adaptation because it captures so much of what makes Cormac McCarthy's writing interesting and sort of like the bleakness of it. And the the way he writes violence was so perfectly, you know, recreated by the same way that the Coen brothers, you know, shoot stuff like that. Now, with anime, I feel like anime is so unique in that medium, is that there's some certain things that you can only do in anime as a medium. And I'm sure there are animes that would translate perfectly to, you know, live action. Like, I'm sure a lot of the more, like, teen stuff that's, like, more grounded in reality... I would put an example of something that did it well would be Scott Pilgrim. Um, yes. Okay. That's yeah. Yeah. Only, that's only because Edgar Wright is like an incredibly visual filmmaker and he was like, mm-hmm. exactly. That was his yeah. baby. He was like, I'm going to make this. And then, and you know, and yeah, then they, because his style lends so perfectly to what the source material was the same way the Coen brothers were perfect for Cormac McCarthy. Yeah. Edgar Wright, like his, his whole thing is, you know, perfect, like big choreographed, stylized shit. So yeah, uh, yeah, perfect, perfect I, example. I, I put, I put forth the only person that I would, I, I, I don't know if it would work, but I like the idea of it because of what he's done before. Denis Villeneuve. I think there could be something crazy sick there, but it yeah, would well, he's just be, the sci-fi prince right now. Yeah. So. But I mean, just yeah. like knowing Blade, the how how much I enjoyed visually Blade Runner, uh, the sequel, um, mm-hmm. and 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 Dune. Like I think, I think Homie could do it. Now it would have to be focusing more on the adult side of it. Like it it would have to be like through his lens. But I think he could yeah. make a cool live action Akira, um, or or of some sort. But I, yeah. again, I don't know if I want it. I, this is just me. Yeah. Do, here. do you want Timothy Chalamet as Tatsuo? Is that that's what you are? Yeah, that's that's the question you are asking. <laughs> I mean, that, that's all right. Casting, I'd say that's all right. But I feel like that'd be that'd be the move. Uh, yeah. No. Uh, Denis definitely could do a big. Would do a, a sick one. Um. Uh, either of the uh, ba ba ba, either of the Gareths, I would would be sick. Yeah, either the dude yeah. that did the raid or the dude that did uh, uh Godzilla and uh Rogue One. Was it Rogue yeah, One? Rogue One. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He could probably maybe do a sick one, too. All right, wait. Uh, let's uh, let's let me finish this out though, and then we'll we'll. Okay. I want you to talk about uh, the uh, um. 
restoration stuff, and then we'll talk about Wick for a bit because I do okay. the the time is the clock is ticking. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you gotta um, go. Akira, uh, as we said, is regarded by many critics and film lovers and anime lovers as a landmark, a pinnacle, something that influenced much of the art in the anime world and wider world following its release. Um, lots of m- illustrators in the manga industry cite the film as an important influence. Lots of uh, um, uh, uh, the lots of anime um, like animators and, and, and anime creators they loved it. Um, manga author uh, author uh, Masahashi Kishimoto, for example, recalls being fascinated by with the way the poster was made and wished to imitate the series creator uh, Katsuhiro uh, Otomo's style. Um, it was again led the way for the growth of popularity and anime popularity of anime outside of Japan as well as Japanese popular culture in the Western world. Um, uh, it's considered the forerunner of the second wave of anime fandom that began in the early 1990s and has gained a massive cult following since then. It is credited with setting the scene for anime franchises such as Pokemon, Dragon Ball, and Naruto to become global phenomenon. Um, according to The Guardian, the cult 19, 1988 anime taught Western filmmakers new ideas in storytelling and helped cartoons grow up. So here are some examples of things that it had influenced. It inspired a okay. wave of Japanese cyberpunk works, including manga and anime series such as Ghost in the Shell, Battle Angel Alita, Cowboy Bebop, uh, Serial, Serial Experiments Latin, and Elfin Lied, live-action Japanese films such as Tetsuo the Iron Man, yep. video games such as Hideo Kojima's Snatcher and Metal Gear Solid, and Squaresoft's oh, yeah. Final Fantasy VII. Outside of Japan, Akira has been cited as a major influence on Hollywood Hollywood, Hollywood, blah, 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 Hollywood films such as The Matrix, Dark City, Kill Bill, Chronicle, Looper, yep. The Dark Knight, Midnight Special, Inception, Godzilla, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Television shows such as Batman Beyond and Stranger Things, and video games such as Core Design, Switchblade, Valve's Half-Life series, and uh, Don't Not Entertainment's Remember Me. Uh, John Gaeta cited Akira's artistic inspiration for bullet time in the Matrix films. Akira has also been credited with influencing the Star Wars franchise, including the prequel film trilogy and the Clone Wars film and television series. Todd McFarlane cited Akira as an influence on HBO animated television series Spawn. Um, Akira has influenced work of musicians, including Michael Jackson and Janet Jackson. Kanye West cited Akira as a major influence on his work, and he paid homage to the film in in the stronger video. Lupe Fiasco's album Tetsuo in Youth is named after Tetsuo Shima. The popular uh, popular bike from the film Canada's Motorbike appears in Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One and CD Projekt Red's Cyberpunk 2077. Deus Ex yes. Mankind Divided, a video game developer Eidos Montreal, also paid homage to the film's poster. Um, uh, also, South Park, Rick and Morty, um, on and on and on. Uh, um, uh, the uh, porn star, uh, Aza Akira, uh, named herself after Akira, uh, the oh. movie. Um, music video for okay, Grimes. Okay, she's going to get some views from me for that. D- Delete oh, yeah. Forever plays homage to Tetsuo's penultimate moments on the Olympic throne. Um, 
when Tokyo was host was chosen to host the 2020 Summer Olympics and the 2013 bidding process, several commentators claimed that Akira predicted the future event. In 2017, oh, yeah. Akira was referenced in several Tokyo Olympic pro- promotions. Uh, um, in February 2020, during the coronavirus pandemic and 147 days before the Olympics, a scene in Akira which calls for the cancellation of the 2020 Olympics 147 days before the event led to social media trend calling for the cancellation of the 2020 Olympics. Um, yeah, so this, well, yeah. obviously, this uh, thing is... it. These and this is just what's on the list on the wiki. Like we could go through a lot more. Yeah, I mean, we we can. uh, Let's see. uh, Sunday, (laughs) Uh, the man, the friend. Sunday. Uh, When we when me and Paris saw him when we went to the bar right after seeing Akira, he was like stoked because he's like, dude, I love that movie. I have the jacket. Like he has his own red leather jacket. He's just like, I just need to get the back patch of like the pill and then it's complete so you know people love this thing people love it when we went to see it i think there may have been people in like cosplay when we saw it there's definitely people wearing like akira merch uh yeah and like it's and it keeps getting copied because even when we saw it like there are people like younger, like way younger than us. Like there's like 20 year olds there. So it keeps finding a newer audience because there's like a new audience of like people super into anime that are just so into it and are probably would know way more. Like they'll probably listen to this and laugh at us because, you know, they're they know so much more about anime. Like I know nothing about anime and, you know, but I think this film is just such like a fascinating thing, just as sci-fi, as animation. Um, I don't know so much where it fits into the grander scheme of anime. You know more about that and like its influence. But like, I remember this film, like this was one of the films Steve showed me. Like I remember when I was like 13, Steve showed me Akira he showed me uh, Neon Genesis, like Evangelion, and like Death Note, and like uh, Ghost in the Shell. So th- those were all like my earliest, like ex, like ex- that's my early exposure to anime. And so this is, yeah, when I think of anime, this is just what I think of because this was probably like the first thing I was showing. Like I was showing this before I ever saw like Spirited Away or like Princess Mononoke, which is, you know, most people that I know, that's what their first thing was that they ever saw of like anime. And then, you know, before, like, I guess not including, you know, stuff like uh, Pokemon and like Dragon Ball Z, which like as kids, like I don't even think we even registered that that was like anime because it was dubbed in uh, English and, you know, it just well, and it I mean, didn't. I mean, even more than that, like what shout out Steve for showing that to you. That's sick. Yeah. Um, yeah. But even more than that, like this film, like the poster is iconic. The clothing mm-hmm. is iconic. Yep. The animation style is iconic. The, the, you know, Tetsuo Kaneda, like that whole thing is, is, like it's this, it's this, it's it's permeated through so many parts of culture, like mm-hmm. just so much. It's it's almost insane to think about how much this film not only opened the pathways for a lot of the stuff that we come to 
came to know as normal, like all of those anime shows that we saw. But also on top of that, like there's like crazy amounts of influence, like how many TV shows and movies and whatever, whenever somebody's playing like a hipster or somebody who's playing somebody who is a bit nerdier, they have the, the fucking Akira poster on the walls, right? Like it's like, Oh yeah. It's like this thing that's permeated through our culture and cultural consciousness and done all of this, uh, uh, subtle and not so subtle influencing. And I just think that Mm -hmm. like, if you want to, if you watch this film and you've never seen it before, you are going to go, Oh, that's where that comes from. You know, like, Oh yeah, I've seen these bikes before. Oh, I've seen this laser gun shot where he's upside down because he get Kaneda gets thrown off his bike and he's flying upside down, shooting a laser. It's a very iconic shot. You'll see <laughs> these things and you'll be like, oh my God, like, whoa. And then and then you'll start realizing, you know, oh, that, that jacket and bike looks like something from the cyberpunk game. Cause it is, because they took it from that. Yep. Like, yep. you know, and so. I don't know. I felt like it was very uh, good that we got a chance to talk about it. I love Akira. I'm a bit more into anime, obviously, than Otis is. Um, yeah. But uh, uh, this, it's a banger. It's it's so good. And what did you want to talk about restoration real quick? Oh, just because I just, because what we saw was in theater was the 4K like restoration that they did uh, like two years ago or something like that. Um and so it this one was like a combination of like the original animation and then I guess they redid some stuff uh using like some CGI animation just to sort of make stuff look better, more modern. But I was watching the Blu-ray I have, it's like the 25th anniversary edition. So from till a couple of years ago. So that'd be 2013. So they in doing it from doing HD, like for the HD Blu-ray release, they were explaining how exactly they do restoration. And I've always been curious about that because like I understand sort of generally the process, like you're making it into a higher resolution and whatnot, but like I never understood how you technically take something from an older resolution and then you're just kind of blowing it up. But typically, you know, if you take something old and then blow it up to be bigger that typically you know you end up losing resolution so i was just curious like okay how do you do this so what they do is they take the original negative and whatnot or whatever film negative again i'm sure there's a film editor out there that's probably like you fucking idiot no you do this you blah 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 anyway so (laughs) you take the negative or whatever and these guys they run it through a computer and they put it into a program and so you go frame by frame by frame very meticulously and you find like any sort of like dirt or any marks that are in the negative that you don't want and you'll highlight it in one frame and so the computer program will realize that oh this like mark doesn't exist in the following frame or the previous frame so this must be a mark that is just like something that's only on this frame and so you know it doesn't need to be there so it removes it and I was just thinking, like, that's such a tedious process, like going frame by frame by frame and just finding every little possible mark that you wouldn't want. So 
you know, people that do restoration are very highly underappreciated people within the film community because that is such a fucking tedious well, that's probably like, that's probably why we haven't gotten the uh, 4K restoration of the Abyss yet because James Cameron is such a control freak. He's probably going over every scene, every frame like 1500 yeah. times. <laughs> like he's probably yeah. going through it and looking at it all. Yeah, <laughs> but yes, he, he he's like such a control freak that yeah, he needs to make sure that every like pixel of oxygen in the water needs to be like right somehow i like that's in, that dude's insane when it comes to that sort of stuff and i will but, uh i will say that the 4k restoration of this excellent sometimes yeah. when you get a 4k restoration it kind of ages it out like mm-hmm. there are parts yeah. of it that but because it's an anime and because we're do- dealing with like just literal animated cell frames like we're not mm-hmm. dealing with uh, like, for example, when I rewatched the 4K of Aliens, uh, and we talked about it in the podcast, that there are certain parts where it's like when you when you scale it up and you clean everything up and you increase the resolution, you kind of see the strings pulling the fly, pulling the spaceship through the storm, you know, like it's yeah. not uh, it's not as uh, um, it takes away the illusion sometimes a little bit. Um especially with older CGI or, or older practical effects where the kind of the film itself caused was part of the illusion. Um, Mm -hmm. And when you, when you blow that up, it it can, can kind of ruin that illusion. But on the other hand, speaking of that franchise alien on 4k, it only really caused one scene to look bad and the rest of it, it just showed how good the set design was there. God damn. Um, but this one, Akira, it just clarified everything. It made it look modern. And I, I, it was excellent. So I recommend anybody who gets a chance to go see the 4K or to rent it or whatever. Yeah, so. you can buy it on, uh, you can buy it. It's out there on physical media. I don't have it yet. I'll probably look into getting it now just because I do now want to see what the differences were because knowing that they apparently added some uh, CG animation just to sort of, uh, you know, I guess filled in the gaps of, I guess, where there were sort of uh, discrepancies of like the older style. So I guess that they wanted to make it newer looking, I guess, you know, with such like going from like 1080 to 4K, that's a much bigger jump than going from like 480 to 1080 or whatever. So, yeah, I feel like they probably need to fill in some stuff and really redo some things. But like watching it, I I couldn't tell the difference of like what I like. It literally looked like the movie was made in 2020. Yeah, it was how it It looks. Yeah, it looks fantastic. So if the local theater's playing it, definitely fucking go and see it. Well worth it. Yeah. And uh, speaking of movies we saw in the theaters, because we should really wind this up shortly because I got to go. But uh, yeah, there's really only two things I want to mention about John Wick, which are sick things. Yeah. So we both went and saw John Wick yesterday. It was excellent. Wonderful to go see a film with my boy Otis uh, and Mm -hmm. and multiple films in the last couple weeks feels like nature is healing. Um, But uh, (laughs) um, we, we, we did see Akira and then we saw uh, uh, John wick. You enjoyed it. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I gave it a, uh, a nice 
four out of five, nice eight out of ten, whatever you, however you score your movies or whatever. But um, yeah, no, the good thing about a movie is that you know, for on in the fourth movie of a franchise that you know is very much has its style and you know, you know kind of exactly what you're going to get going into it, that it still does things that can surprise you. Um, it's exactly you know, what I said to my mom last night, word for yeah, word. Yeah, it, it still does things that you're, you're like, oh, fuck, okay, shit, that, that's fucking sick. For example, like, the two things that for me where I was like, okay, fuck, yeah, that's tight, was the bow and arrow stuff where you just see people just getting penetrated with arrows. That was so sick. I don't think you need, you know, if you're going to have arrows in your scene, you need people getting fucking bolted to walls. This is what you need. And then the yeah. top-down sequence, that shit blew my mind. I was like, what that was, the fuck? Yeah, that was, that a was stroke, so sick, dude. A stroke of genius, that top-down sequence, and he's shooting the dragon's breath shotgun. And so every yeah. time he's shooting, it's like shooting out fire. Oh, it was so sick. Yeah, it, it literally, it looked, that whole scene looked like a twin stick shooter game where like, and the genius inclusion of the, using the fire, like the incendiary bullets is that you can see him like shooting. So it's kind of like you can see where his line of fire is as if it's like a video game. It was like fucking Hotline Miami or uh any other sort of twin stick shooter game like that it's yeah that shit was so cool and fuck it kind of just makes me want to have like a john wick video game that's like a top-down action game i know that they would, made a john wick video game but i, I mean don't but know. that would be cool I, I, yeah that'd, that'd be, be so sick. sick um here i'll say the pros and the cons uh yeah the pros of it are the action set pieces were excellent especially in the later half of the film um yeah everything pretty much from meeting uh um scott adkins character which was he was hilarious yeah him uh, in a hilarious fat suit like that but then still like dope. doing spin kicks and shit that was nuts. yeah yeah, yeah. Um, dude just being agile as fuck yeah it was so it was, unexpected it was sick um yeah everything from that point on to the end um white knuckle action the the roundabout fight secret sequence the multiple yeah. stair fight sequences especially yeah. the last one um uh the top down house fight uh the the uh um whole scott adkins fight and chase scene in the club um excellent i mean even the start of the film excellent uh, it, i enjoyed yeah. the whole thing um and uh you know uh i'm i spoiler alert for everybody I'm I'm not going to say how it ended, but I'm glad it ended the way that it did because I don't um I don't I don't know how they could I mean this is what I said to my 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 mom last night when I was discussing the film is I said, you know, mm-hmm. um the first film was so singular in the point of what he wanted to do. Yeah. And and there was a kind of a natural progression of it that was for that was hinted at in the following films. Mm-hmm. And I was worried that they weren't going to reach that conclusion. And now, you know, the, 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 the fans may say, you never know, but I think that at a certain point, a man can only be murderously uh, uh, angry and seeking revenge for so long. 
Yeah. And they, I think they ended it very well. And I think that, that, you know, it should kind of stay the way it is Mm -hmm. because I don't know what could be the emotional impetus for him to return or to do anything. Yeah. Um, And also like the lore of like the world they built. The thing about it was like, okay, obviously this is like a sort of different world that has its own rules. Like he has a bulletproof suit. Like that's, I forgot that going into this movie. I was like, oh yeah, his fucking suit's bulletproof. Like this movie is full on a comic book come to life at this point. But it's like, you know, how much further can they really push it before this just turns into like a boys like parody of the genre yeah. almost like, and that's the thing is that I think it, ex- it explained and built out the world as far as it could. And I think it came to a, uh, a good conclusion for this story. And, you know, they're, they're, they're obviously expanding the franchise. There's already TV shows yeah, and, and other movies. And so they're expanding like that, it yeah. in other ways. But I think as far as John Wick and his story and what he set out to do, I think that's as far as you can do it. And I think you've created a world with enough interesting characters, enough interesting technology and settings. And, you know, it's own inner workings like the whole gang family shit like that's super fucking cool and you can go super into that like i'm sure there's probably going to be like comic book franchises that further explain this shit and like yeah no it it, i think as far as john wick and john wick i think that that was a fantastic conclusion to john wick yeah and i think uh some of the cons i would say little bit too long um uh i feel like they could have trimmed the fat a little bit more um they had a lot of different characters which was cool to see so many people in it but um at times i was just like "Mm." again trim the fat a little bit i don't know um i love having all these people come in as villains i love donnie yen uh and the mr nobody characters um and you know it's cool to see Lawrence fishburne again it's cool to see uh um ian Ian mcshane as winston as Mm -hmm. winston uh i can't believe they did my boy uh charon like that but uh so such a such is life may he rest in peace uh i guess maybe i hope that he would have one more badass moment before uh uh before uh his passing but unfortunately not um, yeah. but, uh, I, I just felt like, uh, you know, there were fat could have been trimmed a little bit here and there to cut it down a little yeah. bit slower uh, or cut it down to be a bit shorter. But again, overall the start, uh, uh, the action at the start is, was really great, really fun. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, I guess the one thing I have an issue at the start is that whole, when he's walking through that like room with all the glass boxes and stuff, it's like that was literally just done at the end of the last movie. So for me, it was like, when I was watching it, I was like, well, this is cool, but like, I wanted to see something new. And it kind of feels like you're calling back on the end of the third film uh, a little bit too much for me. Like when they were outside and they're shooting with the arrows and stuff like that, I was like, oh, hell yeah. 
but yeah, then he's tight. but then he's outside or then he's inside in the room with yeah, a bunch like of neon lights and glass. Installation room. I was like, yeah. that's literally the end of the last movie. So that's kind yeah, of yeah. I mean, as soon as the characters were just walking through that room, I was like, oh, this is where the fight's gonna be. Like, there's too way too much glass in this room for you know for John Wick to not be throwing people through yeah, it. Like, is, <laughs> although I did like the fact that he was using nunchucks. That was sick. Yeah, um, and the one part where he just mercilessly beats a dude's dick in for no reason. <laughs> he just beats a dude's dick like tens, like just hammers his dick in. Yeah. Like, so don't but, know why he just felt like this dude should never, she shouldn't even be able to reproduce in the afterlife. I guess it was how John felt about that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so overall, you know, I, I would rate it around the same thing. I think it's one of the stronger films in the series. Um, I was kind of nitpicking there a little bit. Um, the other thing that I would nitpick a little bit about it is that I could tell that, uh, a lot of it was CGI sets or, um, you know, uh, uh, that there was, I don't know, because it's so sprawling, because it's such a big film that covers multiple continents uh, and and all of that, I feel like obviously that was the only thing they could do, produced during the time of Corona. I get Yeah, it. you're talking about like in like the wider shots, like yeah, where you yeah. see like the city in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay, but yeah. some of it and so and so some of it I was like, yeah, all right, whatever, I get it. Mm-hmm. But um I think it's, again, the problem of placing any of the films in this franchise against the first one is that the first one was small scale. Uh, and, it was, and it was singular in its focus. Uh, and uh, and I, I think it lends itself to that story so much better. This one, it's so cool to see the lore. It's so cool to see everything expand and become bigger. And it was a great conclusion to the story. And again, the latter half of the film, some of the craziest, action sequences in the franchise. Um, but in the middle there, a little bit of dragging fat could have been trimmed and they were leaning on a couple things from the first film a little bit too, a little bit too much. I felt or not the first film, the third film in the, in the, in the start, but there were overall, I really enjoyed it. I had a great time at the movies. Yeah. If you like the John wick franchise, it's easy eight out of 10. Um, and uh, and yeah, some of the fight stuff at the end, that the the overhead shots, the um, fight up the stairs, the uh, uh, fighting in the club, like all that stuff was unreal. Like went yeah. dumb hard, and Scott Adkins made me laugh. So yeah, you know that show is funny. You shot me in the ass. Or whatever <laughs> yeah, um, um, there was two really cool uh, Easter eggs in the movie. Uh, one of them is one that you pointed out to me that I, I I think made more sense the more I thought about it is that like the final scene it all takes place like the final half of the movie I think it's all in Paris but during one of the fight sequences or a chase sequence or something they play justice like the French uh, EDM duo and you pointed was, that out I don't know to if me. it was actually justice it was it actually it was justice yeah so I looked it up afterwards and then I was like okay that's a cool connection. And then another little Easter egg that I thought was, um, you know how they always have the telephone ladies, like the cool pinup chicks, like the old yeah. uh, like psychobilly chicks that run the telephone lines. Well, in this movie, they're in like the Eiffel Tower, and I guess the one, uh, 
radio station that they're like broadcasting from is called like WUXIA, which is Wuxia, like the oh, the, that's like the Chinese action movies. That's sick. The other which I I was like, oh shit, that's so sick. That's one hundred percent a nod to you know the action movies because yeah, this movie well, is I, basically just that with guns. <laughs> yeah, and I love the fact that uh, in the or at the start of the film, in one of the fight scenes, Donnie Yen gets to Ip Man for a minute. He does the like oh, yeah. Wing Chun, like fast punching on the guy, and I was like, oh, mm. Ip Man. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, uh, overall great, great time at the movies. If you like action movies, some of the stuff in the latter half of the movie. And I mean, don't get me wrong. The start is good. It's just the latter half is where it kicks it up a notch. The, the sauce is added and uh, and it gets a little nuts. So I also will say um, whichever one of the scars guards it was, uh, Bill. That's Bill. Bill? Yeah, that's, uh, that's um, it. That's clown boy. At the start, I didn't, I didn't necessarily hit the right way but then i realized as the film went along that that's just how he's supposed to be this like smarmy weirdo like self-centered yeah. uh kind of french guy and i was like oh mm-hmm. okay i mean some of the accent could have worked a little bit harder on but you know what overall yeah. i hated him at the end of the film um and mm-hmm. so he did a good job i didn't hate him yeah. because of his performance his performance was good and it made me dislike him um but overall yeah good a solid eight out of ten fun time at the movies i think that's it uh do you have any Mm -hmm. announcements to make uh yeah one announcement to make uh got a new single dropping this is the first of the uh the cavernous missing transmissions which is just a collection of four b-sides that didn't make it on the cavernous in time and then there's one song, which is featuring Dr. Meats, which is just a song that we did together that just didn't really fit on anything that either of us were doing. So that I'm releasing as the first single. It's kind of a cool song that is different than anything I think he or I have done. And then the last song on the track on uh, uh, the Missing Transmissions is... Uh, a song I did for my buddy Malco's uh, Santa Slay's short film. So that's come. It's just my version of Silent Night, which because uh, like, Silent Night is a public domain song, so I can make it. So fuck you, don't sue me, because the guy that made it has been dead for a hundred years. <laughs> um. <laughs> anyway, when are, when yeah. are, when are you dropping it? Uh, so it's May fifth is when the single. Uh, uh, for the song, it's called "The Sword," featuring Doctor Meats is coming out, and then the actual EP is coming out on. Yeah, I forget. It's either May nineteenth or May twenty sixth. I forget what the date is, but uh, yeah, May. There's some new Otis Morris coming out in May. Nice. Um, nothing to announce for me except for the fact that next week we will be uh not recording because I will be down in Pennsylvania. Um, and then we will be coming back and we will be, uh, doing our, uh, uh, 99th and 100th episode, uh, and we'll, and then we've got some cool stuff planned going into the summer, but next week we will not be releasing anything. Um, great weekend to, um, maybe go and, uh, see John Wick or, uh, or, or any of the other films. Bo's yeah. Afraid is out. Um, oh, and uh, where that fucking Sisu movie that fucking John Wick in the West 
with the and, the gold prospector. That that trailer was nuts. He blew a guy up with a mine. He threw a land he threw mine a mine at a guy, and it landed he threw on his an anti tank mine. Blew at him human. up. It's crazy. That's insane. I yeah. I need to find where that movie's playing. So I need um, to see that shit. Anyway, yeah. So so uh, we won't be here next week. We hope everybody has a wonderful following two weeks from now. Um, and, uh, I guess we will be dropping shortly after Otis's, uh, new single drops. So on the 5th of May, go check out the sword. It's a banger. I helped on it. It's good. Yeah. You uh, mastered it. So. Yeah. So go listen to that bad boy. And, uh, I hope that, uh, everybody goes and checks out Akira. If you haven't already great film, super important, super influential. And, uh, we, yeah, that's pretty much it. You can find, uh, me on Instagram at P A L M R E A D R. That's Palm Reader without the last E. Where can they find you? Uh, you can also find me on Instagram, Otis Morris Dude. And I guess since uh, we're talking more about reviews and stuff, uh, follow me on Letterbox as well. That's Otis Morris Dude there. Yeah, well. I'm pretty sure I'm P L M R D R on there. Um, cool. uh, and also, if you have any suggestions, questions, whatever, send us a message, uh, birdprotocol at gmail.com. Um, please, uh, continue to, uh, like, or, uh, uh, download stream, um, um, uh, give us a review on, on your, yeah. wherever you get your podcasts. We are coming up on our hundredth episode. Can't believe it. Uh, and then, uh, and it's going to be, a uh, a, a banger. Uh, we got, a, oh, yeah. we got a couple bangers playing for the next little while. All right. Remember to initiate the protocol. I will see you. We will see you guys in two weeks. Peace right. out. Peace out.